Good morning. I am truly glad that you decided to come to church this morning. Like, I am glad to see your smiling face and happy Mother's Day to you. Let us pray. Lord, just thank you for this day and everything that you've given us, God. And uplift us, encourage us, speak to us, through us from your word, God, and, and lead God and direct us in the coming week, God. We just ask all these things and your name we pray. Amen. This morning, I would like us to think back, way, way back there to when we were in the fourth grade. Can you remember what it was like when you were in the fourth grade? What your wants and desires and goals in life was? I mean, most of your mind was filled with things that were rather trivial, you know, like how much you didn't like your teacher, you know, how much you liked little Debbie's, trying to get out of school and, and get home. But what's truly amazing, if, if we would look at the life of a fourth grade teacher. Now, this fourth grade teacher has a classroom full of, let's say, 30 fourth graders. And fourth graders are not always the most civil, respectful, wanting-to-learn type of people. I mean, how many of us would want our job to depend on a fourth grader's ability to contain and remember information? That would be almost an impossible order. But every year, every year, in these schools, they, they have tests. And all these little fourth graders, all these little fourth graders, they're tested on their knowledge. And guess what? Even if that, that kid doesn't study, doesn't care about school, doesn't, doesn't want to have anything to do with it, they still get to take that test. And that test, when the officials look at this test, they're not just thinking about that fourth grader, but they're thinking about that teacher. And even if this little fourth grader has blew off school the whole year, ignored everything his teacher said, no matter everything like that, if he does bad, it just it doesn't just reflect on little Johnny, but it reflects on, on the teacher. And those officials expect those scores to be good. They have expectations. But the teacher... She really knows what's going on. She really knows the truth is that little Johnny just doesn't care. Now, see, in our life, we have to understand the implications of expectations. Because if we're not careful and we have the wrong expectations, it can truly get us depressed. It can lead us to a place that we don't want to go, and it can make us feel like, we're doing something wrong that we're in fear. And that's true in, in being a mother, a father, a son, a brother, in any relationship that we have. If we have the wrong expectations, then oftentimes we're not going to find the results we want and we're going to end up being disappointed. So if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 3 through 6, it says this. In verses 3 and 4 it says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, 
and man of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. First, we have to find that we have to stop measuring success by the results. And what is amazing here, we have God. And I don't know, most of y'all probably know God. I mean, he's probably, he, he's the best there is. I mean, he's perfect, wonderful, holy, mighty. And he rescues these Israelites. I mean, does everything in the world, creates them a nation, does everything in his power to give them a life that is wonderful, is the perfect father. And so his children turn out to be wonderful, well-being, wonderful people of society. Can you believe that's not the truth? Can you believe that here we have Israel who, hey, they had the, the perfect father who gave them everything they needed, even more than they needed, gave them more chances than they could ever ask for. More grace, more more mercy, more knowledge and wisdom. And here we have Israel and they simply have gone astray. They simply have, have gone the other way. So we have God who's done his part. In other words, he has done everything in his power to put Israel in a position to where they can have abundant life. They can have this wonderful life and Israel blows it. Now looking at, at the life of Israel, we see that this, this was not God's fault. When we look at the blunders of Israel, God had done everything in his power to make sure Israel could survive and thrive. But Israel... Israel's the one who messed it up. And so we have this, we have this thing called choice that Israel had. And even though God gave them everything they could do, everything they needed to survive, we find that Israel made the choice to turn their backs on God. And so at this point in, in the book of Isaiah, God is bringing this up to the Israelite leaders and he's saying, what have I not done for you? Like, what have I not sacrificed for you? How have I wronged you? What have I not provided for you to give you hope, to give you a future? And so he's trying to get them to see that it's not God's fault. It's not the circumstances' fault that they're in, but it is their own choices that have led to this this place in, in their life. And as we look at this, we have to understand that, that choice plays a, a big factor in things. When as we celebrate Mother's to Mother's Day, mothers are one of the most I believe I, I look up to them a lot because they have a very big job, see? Because if you think about it both, both, Adolf Hitler 
and Billy Graham had mamas. I mean, both of them had mamas. Now, both of those people went totally different directions. Totally different directions. That shows us that the funny thing about being a mother is that when that, that child comes into the world, no matter what you want it to do, what you want it to act like, what you want it to grow up to be, unfortunately, there's a thing called choice. And even if we do everything right, if they make the wrong choice, then they have, they have to live with it. You know, most of us can smell the paper mill. Have you ever smelled the paper mill? I don't know. I live right here and, and I smell it. I know what it smells like. But let's just imagine that, that we're driving along and, and we begin to, to smell that smell. Think everything's normal. You know, everything's good. That's just the way it is around here. But then all of a sudden we discover our car's on fire. Bursting into flames. So pull over everything. And coming to find out, it has a manufacturing defect. And this manufacturing defect actually happened. Cars would burst into flames because the cruise control, control switches built by Texas Instruments, the people who make the, the fancy calculators, were used in Ford cars and trucks between the years 91 and 2004. And because of this, a total of 14.9 million vehicles would short out and catch fire. That's a lot of vehicles going up in flames. But the thing is, it, it was a manufacturing defect. Now, a manufacturing defect is a defect in a vehicle to where it is not part of the design. It's not part of the automobile design. It was a mistake that was made at the factory. So, that wasn't supposed to happen. The car wasn't supposed to, to burst up in the flames. And that's what we have to understand in the relationships in our lives. Because we have relationships with people. And, and the funny thing about people is they have the ability for great works, for great good, for great things of, of God. But, but here's the thing. Every person on, on the face of the planet has a, a sin nature. If we even take a, a small child, for example, they really do not have a desire to share their toys. And they don't understand why we tell them, you need to share that toy with, with little Johnny. So we need to understand that our job our job is to put people in a position to where they can meet and be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that the results of our work 
is up to God and up to them. Because as much as, as we wish we could do it, we cannot make people do things. We cannot make them say things or do things or think things. But that is up to them and that, that is their choice. So when they make the wrong choice, oftentimes we in our lives can sometimes end up blaming ourselves. And when we start to blame ourselves for the results and the choices that they made, it begins to become a burden in our hearts and our lives, and it begins to bring us down. But what we have to understand is that, and how we can let that burden be lifted up, is to realize that we've done all we can, that we have tried our best, that we didn't do anything wrong, but it simply was a choice that they made in, in their mind. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, number one, are we doing our best? Are we doing our best to put our family and the relationships with people in our life in a position to where they can meet Jesus and have a relationship with him and know the Savior that we know? But also, are we putting more guilt on our shoulders than we deserve? And have we realized that if the God of the universe, like Jesus Christ, God Almighty, can do everything in His power for Israel, and, and Israel walks away, then if we as people who are fallen try to invest in people in our lives, whether that be our, our children, our family, our friends, and do everything in our power, and then they just walk away. We have to understand that we are not in the wrong, but we've done everything we can. And so, if you look with me in the next couple of verses here, five and six, it says, and now go to, I will tell you what I will do in my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned, nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. And so, secondly, we have to stop confusing today for the end. And as we read these verses, this is one of the most comforting verses about God. Because if we were God, see, what we would essentially do is we would most likely zap us. We would say, there's no hope for you. You just go on with your life. But see, God was speaking and saying to Israel that I love you so much, even though you have fallen, even though you have messed up, even though you are almost to the point of being hopeless, even though you're at that point, I'm not going to throw you away. I'm not going to go find me a vineyard somewhere else. But I am going to try to lead you back to a productive life. 
And he simply tells Israel that I'm not going to go somewhere else. I'm simply going to take my hand. I'm going to take my hand of mercy and grace from off of you. And I'm going to allow the briars and the thorns and, and everything to come in so that you may be driven back to me. And so we find that, that God has a love that, that is very strong. A love that, that doesn't give up easily. And he was telling Israel that, that today is not the end. That you are not, they were not to, to give up because God wasn't going to give up on them. But he was going to take his hand off, take the hedges of protection away, so that maybe, just maybe, these people could come back to him and have the hope that they once had in their lives. So, there was a little five-year-old girl, and she was watching her mother do, do her makeup. In, in the mirror. And as she was watching her mother, her mother began to rub this, this cream on her face. So looking at her kind of inquisitively, she says, why do you do that, mother? What, what, what are you doing? So the mother told the little girl, to make myself beautiful. That's why I put this cream on my face, to make myself beautiful. Well, just a few minutes pass, and to the little girl's amazement, the mother, she began removing that cream from her face with a tissue. The cream she had just put on to become beautiful. So then the little girl looked up at the mother, and she said, what, What's the matter? Are you already giving up on becoming beautiful? And that's the thing. So often in our lives and relationships, we're looking for beautiful. We're looking for, for hope. We're looking for glory, a second chance. But, but oftentimes we never see that because we give up on God. And, and the thing about giving up is when we choose to give up, then we never get to see what could have been. We never get to see the future, and we never get to see God do what we are desiring Him to do in our lives. And what we have to understand is that when it comes to God, sometimes He works differently than we do. In other words, we would like it to happen today, right now, in the next few minutes. But sometimes that, that's not how God works. And a lot of times we look at the condition and the circumstances of right now, of today, which may not be that great, which may be look despairing, and we say, well, God, God's not doing nothing. And, and we walk away and we forfeit what God is trying to do in our lives. 
So what we need to make sure we do is to understand that God does not give up on anybody. And when we understand that, that God doesn't give up and realize that even though it may look hopeless today, even though it may look like there's no going back today, that tomorrow God may change our lives and that He is working in the background of our lives to produce an end to which we are aspiring. To produce something that, that is hopeful and great. And so the question I ask us today is, whether it's a, a prayer request, whether it's a, a child that's grown astray, whether it's a relationship that, that has been severed, are we choosing to, to simply give up because we're not seeing the results that we desire. We're not seeing God work as, as greatly as we would like Him to. Are we choosing to, to give up based on that, that side of what we see? Or are we choosing to understand that God is different than me and you? That He has more resources than me and you. He has more time. He has more abilities. He has more power than me and you. And that He will work in our lives through the good times and through the bad. And to understand that just because the situation looks like it is hopeless, just because it looks like something that is painful, to understand that, that God knows what he is doing and where he is taking us. So are you choosing to trust God in the moment? Or are you choosing to give up and, and forfeit the great future that God has planned for you? So as we read about the nation of Israel, we find some comfort in that here's God who is God, who is perfect, amazing, has every resource at his disposal, every piece of wisdom at his fingertips, perfect. And yet here he has this child, Israel, who doesn't do what he wants him to do. So when we look at that example, we have to examine our expectations. To ask ourselves, are we blaming ourselves for others' choices when we have done everything in our power that, that we can do? But also to ask ourselves the question, are we forfeiting the great future that Christ has for us? A great work of God in our life. A great hope of God in our life. Because we don't see Him working today. 
And so at, at this moment, as, as we have this invitation in the music place, I challenge you to ask yourselves the question, what is it that you want God to do, to fix, to reconcile? And to this morning, choose to trust that He is God and that He has the ability to work in your life.